On a nice Saturday morning out there, I tell you what, we went from uh, summer to winter, and now we're back into just sort of a nice fallish season, getting pretty warm these days, but oh gosh, what a gorgeous weekend is going to be. Going to change a little bit tomorrow, but temperatures just going to be great for getting out, and I know a lot of y'all probably be out Christmas shopping, but remember... Remember all the small businesses around? Gosh, leaving last night, we did some decorating at the nursery, and it was uh, fairly late when we got away. The lines of cars trying to get into the malls, into the rim, places like that. You don't have to do that. Get out and visit uh, gosh, a, a water store like Water Garden Gems, or get out and do something, uh, you know, get around visit a, uh, a good independent pet store. Get out and visit a good independent nursery. Oh, they're just all sorts of fun places that you can go that you don't have to fight those crowds. And if that's on your list for things to do today, <laughs> well, I tell you what, I hope hope you will get out and, and support small business and, and have a little bit less stress to your shopping. Anyway, we're here for the next three and a half hours to talk gardening. I'm looking at a totally empty board right now. So if you've got that question, if you want to get in ahead of everybody else and avoid the busy signals, if you got a question that might take a little bit longer to discuss, this is what I call the smart people's half hour. I'm going to do one commercial spot here in a minute, and then we are open all the way until six o'clock to talk about whatever you would like to talk about. So you know the number, 210-599-5555 is 210-599-5555. I certainly look forward to talking to you and, you know, have a number of events and things like that to talk about, but we'll save that for a little later. Right now, let's go ahead and talk about my friends at Kinetico. You know, that'll make a really nice uh, present for yourself this holiday season. If you're tired of having spotted glasses, if you're tired of having all the calcium that may be messing up your plumbing fixtures and uh, your water heater, your dishwasher, your ice maker, all those things that uh, use water and get really fouled up with and you get them all filled up with calcium and things. Well, and it's time to think about getting a water softener. I know there are a lot of good water softeners out there, but I like Kinetico. I'll tell you why, because it is so simple. It is so trouble-free. It basically takes no help from me other than just adding a little salt every now and then. doesn't plug in, so you don't have to worry about power surges or power failures. You don't have to worry about lightning strikes. Your Kinetico system runs on the kinetic energy in water. It's a very unique concept. I think it's the only one out there that works this way. But it means that you don't have to worry about using excessive salt in water because you go out of town and your system goes goes on regenerating on a regular basis. That's not what happens with Kinetico. Kinetico has a built-in sensor. It doesn't recharge until the rosin needs to be recharged. Twin tank system, so you're never going to run out of soft water. And uh, it's just it's just a peace of mind. They work beautifully. They're as good a water softener as you will find anywhere. And yet they require so little help, so little maintenance from you. So, like I say, uh, Kinetico is the is the system that I chose years ago at the recommendation of my friend Brad Messer. I've never looked back. I'm not. I'm sure it's not the exact system for everyone out there, but let me tell you what, it sure works for me. They even have try before you buy plans if you like. And if you'd like to learn more, it's as simple as going to Kinetico SA is in San Antonio, KineticoSA.com. Or you can give them a call at 210-656-PURE. That's 210-656-PURE for Kinetico. All right. Well, it looks like at least one person is awake out there in in the world of South Texas this morning. And that's Javier. And we'll make him first. And uh, good morning, Javier. 
Oh, good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Uh, I don't know if this is a plant or a weed, but it's supposed to be good. Uh, purslane. Okay. U uh, R S L A N E, I believe. Well, yeah, great question. Purslane can be a weed, or it can be an ornamental plant, or some people actually eat it. I've never tried it, but um, that's what I read about. Yeah, uh, it it is one of those things. It's a it's a warm weather plant. It's not something you'd be doing with anything with this time of year, unless you're going to try growing it in a greenhouse. It's a beautiful little flower. It looks sort of like what they call moss rose only it's single petal flowers there's no such thing as too hot too sunny too bright it doesn't mind dry weather blooms all summer long and lots of folks grow it in hanging baskets grow it in pots grow it as a you know a a temporary ground cover so most people plant it as an ornamental but a lot of times it throws seed it comes back as the original form which does not have the showy flowers it just says you know fat little green fleshy leaves it uh many people consider it to be a weed because once you have it you'll pretty much always have it it makes seed it comes up all over the place but uh you know, from my understanding, it's, uh, you know, it's quite edible, even high in some vitamins, some things that are good for us. But uh, it's it's something that if you were going to grow it in a pot, in a sunny window, in a greenhouse, something like that, you could do it this time of year. But otherwise, you're going to have to wait until it uh, really starts warming up in the spring to plant. Yeah, well, we read that it's it's real good, like you said, to, to eat mm-hmm. uh, for medicinal uh but we don't know. Have you ever tasted it? You know, I have to say I haven't. <laughs> I've tasted some other very similar things, and it just doesn't have a strong flavor. It's, um, oh, gosh, I, I hate to say that it tastes like grass, but, you know, you're, you're, you know you're eating a plant. But uh, I'm uh, once again, I'm sure there are ways that it could be prepared and seasoned that it would have a little more flavor but uh, the similar things that I have tried have, you know, been <laughs> tasteless. Is it sounds like a bad word, but uh, it certainly doesn't have an unpleasant flavor. But neither does it have a flavor that just makes me want to run out and find some. Well, it said that it's a weed that grows everywhere. So do we have it here in this area? Uh, it grows, yeah. It grows all over the place. Um, it. I certainly have plenty of it growing, and I think most of the places I'm seeing it is where I grew the more attractive ornamental form, and then it just it came back as the weedier form, but uh, I'm sure that just about anybody could find a little bit, uh, you know, to pull up out of a given spot and give you. Um, I, I'd, I'd certainly be happy when I've got some growing in my flower beds. You just let me know, and I'll I'll pull up two or three pots worth and bring it into the nursery, and you can swing yeah, by and pick it up. I I've never seen it really sold as an herb. I'll ask a couple of our herb suppliers. But, uh, again, this is something we really ought to be looking at about, oh, mid-March or later next spring. So uh, oh. if you haven't found it by then, give me a call. Don't go out and spend a bunch of money online for a weed. Right. I'm sure we can find you some around this area. There's another one. I don't know if it's a weed. This uh, grew in, in my backyard. It has a real wide leaf, and it's got the, the, the flowers, like a little bud, red, bright red. Uh, but the and it's kind of like flat. It doesn't grow bushy. Okay. Oh, it's kind of like flat. Uh, the plant or weed, whatever. I've never seen it. You know, so I don't know if it's weed or a plant. 
Are the uh, well, my old horticulture teacher in college just said a weed's just a plant in the wrong place. So everything is a weed if you don't want it there. His example was he said that pecan tree is a state tree, but if you want a swimming pool where that pecan tree is, it suddenly became a weed. So right. it's I, I maybe the better thing to say, I don't know whether it's a cultivated plant or just a, just something that grows wild out there. But uh, tell me about the, the leaves on this plant. They're flat. Do they have any veination to them? Do you see... Are the red are the le- veins a darker red color? No, it's it's a, a green. I, I think it's a real dark green. Uh, don't think I see any color of any other red or not or nothing. But it's a it's the, the leaf is real wide, mm-hmm. and and it's like I said, you know, it doesn't grow tall. It's like flat almost, uh, not quite flat, but almost. Gosh, that... and, and it's got some little red. Uh, I should take a picture next time. That'd probably be a good idea. Does it, does it have a fleshy leaf, or is it uh, is it a, um, um, a more thick, succulent leaf? Uh, I don't think it's fleshy. It looks kind of flat. The you know, leaf doesn't look uh, fleshy. That yeah, rather flat, uh, but large. You know, it's it's wide. It's a wide leaf. That doesn't. And, and, yeah, that doesn't ring a bell with me. Hi, they're, they're, oh gosh, I, I can think of a lot of large flat leaf plants, but I can't think of any of them with red flowers. Take a picture next time you find yeah, it, I will. and we'll, I'll look forward to taking a look okay. at it and see if we can figure out what it is. Okay, and Bob, I was going to ask you also, uh, do you know if, if they're going to be the uh, Dr. Seifel's, uh uh, other partner is he going to take over on Sundays? You know? Yes, as a matter of fact, I was just visiting uh, with folks uh, yesterday. Dr. Williamson, Dr. Staffel right. handpicked uh, Dr. Williamson uh, to both to be his associate uh, in his dental practice, and I've heard Dr. Williamson on the show with uh, with Ed a number of times, and. I'm sure it'll. I'm sure there'll be a little bit of a learning curve to doing the show by himself, but he most definitely does plan to continue uh, okay. the um, Your Smile Matters show. Okay. I, I I'm I'm not sure. I don't think anybody has quite the broad range of experience that Doctor Staffel did, but Doctor Williamson is a smart guy. I'm sure looking forward to listening. I think. Uh, tomorrow's show will be a repeat of one that Dr. Staffel did, and after that, I think uh, Dr. Williamson's going to be going to be stepping up you know, to the microphone and uh, taking it on his own. But very, very capable man, and you know, I knew Dr. Staffel for a lot of years, and let me tell you, when he endorses somebody and when he likes somebody well enough and respects him well enough to say, "Hey, I want you to come into my practice." You got to be a pretty right. sharp guy. So I know the show is going to continue. Um, I, you know, don't know Dr. Williamson personally yet, but I look forward to getting to know him. And uh, your smile matters will go on four o'clock here oh, on Sunday good. afternoons. We thought it was that her, his ex uh, partner was going to take over. Yeah, the, the lady. But no, she, I guess she's gone. I don't know where she's gone. Well, she uh, she followed her husband off to uh, somewhere in the desert, Phoenix, or somewhere like that. And oh, wow. you know how sp- spousal things are. He got a job he couldn't pass up. She certainly didn't want to part company with him. I understand she has a young child now, and so far as I know, they're doing really, really well. I liked her a great deal, but uh, just duty called for her husband, and they moved on. And that's when uh, Doctor Williamson came in and uh, is here to stay. Okay. Well, thank you, Bob. My pleasure, Javier. Thank you for the call this morning. Thank you. Certainly. Goodbye.
All right, it's going to be Fidel and Mimi and David, and Fidel is next. Good morning, Fidel. Morning, Bob. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm glad I don't have to look awake, but my brain's awake, and I I feel wired awake in a lot of ways. But I'm I'm kind of like my engineer in there. That's what we always say about radio. It's it's good that you only have to sound awake. You don't have to look awake at this hour. Yeah, uh, Bob, I got two questions. I'm I uh, watch the RFD channel uh, every now and then, uh-huh. and I notice that they're trying to kill or get rid of nematodes up there in the in the corn country, you may say. Right. And and here we're trying to spread them. Well, you shed a little bit of light as to the difference? Absolutely. Um, when I studied nematodes in college, and I studied a bunch of nematodes, uh, the, the the lady that wrote the book, I think was named Libby Hyman, identified over 100,000 different kinds of nematodes. Today we know the total number of different kinds of nematodes is over 500,000. And there are nematodes which are parasites of animals. There are nematodes which are parasites of plants. There are nematodes that are what we call free-living that basically just exist on decaying organic material. We selectively, I say we, the company that I like best is called the Hydro Gardens up in Colorado Springs, Colorado. They selectively raise huge numbers of a nematode that attacks and uh, destroys a number of different insects, such as fleas, fire ants, uh, grub worms, wire worms, things like that. So uh, those are, we call them beneficial simply because they target the organisms we want to get rid of. There are other nematodes, very common one in this area is the so-called root knot nematode. When you get over to Hawaii, you actually have some nematodes that will be in the upper portions of the plant. So you know that's just like saying, uh, you know, just saying. Well, we need to we need to get rid of we need to get rid of the birds. Well, we might want to get rid of English sparrows and starlings and uh, grackles, but we certainly don't want to get rid of our songbirds. So uh, there's a lot of variation in birds. There's a lot of variation in nematodes. Uh, there are some damaging ones. There are some that um, actually cause quite serious problems in uh, in both plants and animals. Those are the ones you're trying to get rid of. And they'll never do it. <laughs> you know, they, they've been here a lot longer than we have. And uh, um, anyway, we, we certainly have ways to minimize the problems that we face with them uh, in our gardens. They're, they're a handful that are of concern. But, you know, with proper mulching and things like that, they don't need to be a problem at all. But you get up in some other parts of the country, they do have some nematode issues. And I've can't claim to be real familiar with uh, the problems they face when you get a little further north. But down here, we've got good nematodes and bad nematodes and a heck of a lot of them that we don't know what the heck they do out there. So uh, it's just a huge group. 500,000 different kinds is a lot. Oh, yeah. Uh, Question number two. I just got back yesterday from Arizona visiting family, and I noticed that a lot of the plants that we have here are native plants. uh, do very well. The example is lantanas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, lantanas over there is a thick bush mm-hmm. uh, that's three or four feet high. Right, and uh, you know a lot more bigger and thicker branches and so forth. And uh, it, are those uh, different varieties? There or, are there are many many different varieties. The uh, 
Um, there are two general groups. There's uh, the trailing lantanas are basically a, a genus called Lantana montevidensis, and then we've got some upright lantanas, uh, Lantana camera, Lantana horrida, a bunch of ones that have been very highly hybridized. When you get into the desert southwest, there are a lot of places where they're not only perennial, but they don't even freeze back most winters, and this gives them chance to grow. And can be they can be trimmed and cultivated to form small you know four five six foot tall trees others make very big bushes uh it's just lantanas do very well here but uh they do even better in uh in you know phoenix some of those areas out there and it's simply because they have a long growing season in many winters they don't freeze at all oh okay those are my questions. Appreciate your answers. They're basically the same varieties, though. You can grow them just as well as they can. You just can't grow them quite as big. Yeah. It's good to talk to you. Okay, Bob. Call anytime. Thank Thanks, Fidel. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. Mimi's up next. Good morning, Mimi. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, how are you? Uh, on the nematodes you were just talking about, the ones that I can't find in my area, right. you say they're from Hydro Gardens? We get them. Um, there are several different companies around the country that produce them uh the one that we get the company that makes a blend that we think works extremely well in this area i think they actually put seven different species of nematodes into a specific grouping that they make they call it guardian lawn patrol the same company actually does several different ones but uh yeah they're up in colorado springs colorado is so where they have their laboratories and uh, you know, it's hard to call it a breeding facility when it's something that you can barely see with the naked eye, but that's where they produce, uh, you know, a large number of them. Okay, I'm going to try to find those again. Uh, and also, I, here recently I heard you and I heard about the uh, monarch butterfly uh, native, bu- uh, you know, bush that they like. Mm-hmm. What is it? It's not what we have, right? Well, there are there are a number of different um, bushes that uh, that the monarchs like and are attracted to. There are a handful of them that are the host of their larvae. They're like all butterflies; they can't just lay their egg on any plant and have their caterpillar hatch mm-hmm. and eat it. Different butterflies use different plants as a larval host, and the main one for monarch butterflies. Um, uh, is a, a, a genus of plants called Asclepius. And we have two or three, maybe even more than that, native Asclepius that grow well here. They're not very showy, uh, but the you know the monarchs will use even the one that we plant ornamentally. The uh, uh, Asclepius uh, curvasica is the one that we call the, um, oh gosh, goes by a number of different names, but uh, it, it's a pretty thing. Uh, the purist will tell you that it may be a problem because it brings in so many different beneficial insects that they may eat the they may eat the oh. caterpillars. So they're not as fond of it. But I know that I know an awful lot of people that have the Mexican milkweed. It's the common name of this of uh, the real showy one, and uh, the monarchs don't have any problem living and reproducing there. They they keep other problem creatures under control, but uh, the native one, the most common one, the one that grows wild all over my ranch, is commonly called antelope horns, which is just a different Asclepius there. But there are a bunch of different ones that they use as larval host, and they are attracted to a lot of other plants that just have a nectar they favor, things like Greg's mist flower 
And um, I mean, you can get you can get the long list, everything from lantanas mm-hmm. to zinnias, butterflies in general love those plants right. as a nectar source. But uh, there there are a number of uh, of good things you can plant specifically for the monarchs. One other thing I should mention about monarch butterflies: we always talk about the monarch migration. The monarchs do not fly from you know North Dakota to South America nonstop like uh, like migrating birds and things do there are actually several different generations will occur along the way that one butterfly may may move a hundred or two miles lay eggs uh its little ones hatch form the uh larval caterpillar eventually form an adult monarch and they move further south but don't get the idea that that simple little butterfly is capable of making the flight of several thousand miles Uh, there is a big migration and this is one thing that uh, makes it makes it more difficult for us to protect them is that they have to stop and reproduce more than one time along the way to actually get down to the areas uh, in southern Mexico and places where they overwinter, and then the process repeats itself as they move back toward the north in the spring. Yes, I read all of that recently in our local paper. Uh-huh. And uh, now I have those... Uh, uh, milkweed the yellow one right. and the, the reddish looking one yes, but uh-huh. i thought that according to that article that wasn't the favorite deal it well was, it, it's know, not native. the favorite but it is certainly one of the more accessible ones and it combines having a a sap having a plant that they can live and reproduce on with something that people really want to plant in their garden i mean i'm all in favor of native plants but to be honest, many native plants are not real attractive, and True. 90, 95% of the people that come in our nursery, they say, oh, gee, natives are nice, but I want something attractive. And if that's <laughs> what you want in your garden, that's what you should be planting. And the, with the Mexican milkweed, no, it's not their favorite, but it combina- it's a combination of things that they, you know, will do well with and things that are very attractive to us all in the same plant. Oh, let me hurry on. I, these are not two items that I was calling you about. What I was calling about was on my amaryllis. Can I move them now? If Have they started sprouting and growing? Well, they're still green. They okay. haven't died back. Yeah, you, you can go ahead and move them now and cut, cut the foliage back by about two-thirds when you do, Mimi. Okay. And keep thirds. them on the dry side. They need to go dormant so that they can uh, come back and bloom again in the spring. Right, and same with, uh, I have rain lilies, too. They're just in little old pots just sitting around. I want to put them in a bed. Well, Uh, where you're just taking them out of a pot and putting them in a bed, today would be a great day to do it, yeah. Okay, and what about belladonna? Belladonna is is an amaryllis. It is an amaryllis. Uh Well, what's different about it that they, you know, call it belladonna again it's just uh the amaryllis genus is a whole bunch of different kinds of plants belladonna actually uh has some specific chemicals in it it's one that some places it grows well that's never done well for me but i've seen gorgeous see them just beautiful growing up in the fort worth area uh they just have a beautiful pink flower and it's just mm-hmm. you know one of many varieties of amaryllis we were talking okay. many varieties of lantana earlier many varieties of right. nematodes there are a lot of different amaryllis Okay, well, all right, then I'll I'll try to do that because I have a bunch, and they're really getting big in the pots. A lady had given me these, and I bet those those flowers, when they bloom, they're about (laughs) 
eight, nine inches. Oh, they're spectacular. They are spectacular. Yes. And they're about to bust the pot. Well, it's time for a new pot or a spot in the ground if you have a protected area. All right. Okay, then. Thanks Thanks, very much. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. All right. Let's get started with David. David, if we don't get the question all the way answered, we'll do it right after the news. What's going on today? Hey, Bob. Yes, sir. Question. I'm going to plant a a long row of onions Uh uh, about four inches apart because I'm going to eat the little ones as they they get bigger. Then put them about an inch or two inches apart. You don't need to spread them out that much to start out. All righty. And what's the best way to water them? I've tried soaker hose. I've tried just drip, but it seems like the drip is too, the the emitters are too far apart. Well, the, when you first start out, um, you the soaker hoses, the drips are not as good. But that drip irrigator, it actually, when the water goes down, it forms like an upside-down ice cream cone underneath the ground. When you first plant your onions, that's not enough because the ones in between aren't getting enough water. So I hand water mine probably for the first month. By that end of that period of time, they've got their roots well down into the ground, and then your drip will do just do just fine for them. So start out hand-watering them. Once you get those roots spread out, the, the emitters on those drips, even though it looks like they're, they're far apart, the water's really getting to the roots of those plants.